encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 5. In just a few minutes, we're going to read that entire chapter, okay? But again, I hope that you've got your Bible and you will turn to that chapter. Uh, When we began this study in Isaiah, and this is the fourth message, I I ask you to read the first six chapters. And again, I'm uh, I'm not here to be critical if you hadn't done that yet. I want to encourage you to do it. Because, number one, you'll get a feel for what a prophet of God was all about. And, folks, there's something that I want you to understand from the get-go. As I shared the first Sunday, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah deal with the coming judgment of God. But beginning with chapter 40, and, of course, in those first 39 chapters, there's always elements of grace and mercy where God is is not going to send his judgment, but he's trying to wake the people up. And, folks, one of the things about judgment, and I'm going to repeat this a number of times, judgment is the purifying force that causes God's people to turn back to him and receive the blessings and the mercy and grace that God has for them. And so, folks, this morning, as I've tried to say every Sunday, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not trying to preach fire and brimstone and condemnation. Folks, there need to be a revival and an awakening in our country, in our world, in our churches, and in our lives to turn back to God. I don't know. We might be living in the last days. And I'm not saying that in a light way. I really mean that. I'm beginning to wonder. So much is happening in our world today. It's frightening. It's very discouraging. I believe a lot of Christians are just trying to just step aside and say, well, if this is going to happen, there's no sense in me trying to live for the Lord. There's no sense in me trying to even support the church. You know, let's just, if Satan's going to take over, let's just let him have it. I'm tired of fighting. And, folks, we must not adopt that attitude, but we must hear from the Word of God that even in the darkest moments, God's got a plan for the church, for His people. But, folks, I want you to hear again about God's message through Isaiah to the nations. And we have a choice. We either are going to receive the judgment of God or the mercy of God. So let me pray and we'll get started, okay? Father, I pray for open ears and minds and hearts to the Word of God. God, I pray that you will speak your truth through me. And even as we read this chapter in the book of Isaiah, I pray, Father, that you'll point out to us, each one of us, where we need to confess our sin, to repent, that is, to turn away from it and to turn back to you. God, how we pray for our nation that it would turn back again to you. God, so much is happening in our world, and in many ways, it's so very frightening to us all. And God, we wonder, is there a way that we can, we can make a difference? God, is there a way that this can be turned around? Oh, God, help us to know that with your strength and by your power, nothing is impossible. And help us, Father, as individual Christians and as churches, that we will stand tall for you And, God, we would become the salt of the earth and the light to the earth, God, that people will turn and know you and turn from sin and live for you. God, today, each of us have various needs. And I pray, Father, that you'll speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by reading something to you. Uh, One of our church folks this week gave me this. 
How many of you were born after after 1965? After 1965. How many of you in here? Okay. Y'all probably don't know who Paul Harvey is then, do you? You, you do know who Paul Harvey is. Well, Paul Harvey was a conservative radio commentator for ABC News for 50 years. Um, on April the 3rd, 1965, he, he read this on his radio program. Many of you might remember hearing this or reading this, but it's entitled, What I Would Do If I Were the Devil. And just listen to this. 1965, 50 years ago, Paul Harvey said these words and wrote these words. If I were the devil, I wouldn't be happy until I'd seized the ripest apple on the tree, the United States. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I would begin a campaign of whispers with the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to the church as I whispered to Eve, do as you please, do as you please. To the young, to the young, I would whisper, the Bible is a myth. I would convince the youth that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what is bad is good and what is good is now, this is a 1965 word, okay, square. Y'all remember that word? The word square meant old-fashioned, outdated, irrelevant, okay? And to the old, I would teach the old to pray, our Father which art in Washington. Pause and reflect on that, we who are older. How many of us have our dependence upon Washington instead of our dependence upon God? Back to the letter. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature, and I'm not really good at knowing the meanings of words, so I looked in the dictionary. Lurid means gruesome, shocking, sensational. I'd educate authors on how to make gruesome, shocking, sensational literatures exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd fill TV with dirtier and dirtier movies. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families that war with themselves, churches that war within themselves, and nations that war against one another until each in its turn was consumed. You notice how it started with families, churches, and then nations. Back to the letter. And with promises of higher ratings, I would mesmerize media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but to neglect to discipline emotions. Just let them run wild until you, before you knew it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. This was written 50 years ago. 
Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon, I would have God evicted from the courthouse and then the schoolhouse and then from the houses of Congress. And in God's own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbols of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I'd kill the incentive of the ambitious to work. And listen to this next statement. What do you bet I could get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich? Fifty years ago, I would question against extremes and hard works and patriotism and moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging, and again, that's the 60s word, that swinging is more fun, what you see on the TV is the way to be, and thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you in the bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd keep on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey, good day. Now, let me read from Isaiah 5, written probably at least 25 to 2,700 years ago. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read this out of the Living Bible. Folks, this is either going to be a bomb or it's really going to do something in our hearts and minds this morning as I read. And I want to point something out. I want to give you a quick outline, very briefly. The outline of Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7 Isaiah sings a song about God's care of his people. And then in Isaiah, verse 8 through the rest of the chapter, God gives his indictment of sin against his own people. And folks, remember, as we began to study of Isaiah chapter 1, remember we said that God, it's God's courtroom, God is the judge, and he is laying out before his people how they have turned against him. But listen Verses 1 through 7, Isaiah's song. Now I will sing a song about his vineyard to the one I love. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He plowed it and took out all the rocks and planted his vineyard with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower and cut a wine press in the rocks. Then he waited for the harvest, but the grapes that grew were wild and sour, not at all the sweet ones he expected. Verse 3, God is speaking. Now, men of Jerusalem and Judah, you have heard the case. You be the judges. What more could I have done? This is God speaking. And I'm going to get ahead of myself, but what more not only could God have done for Judah and Jerusalem and Israel, what more could God have done for you and I who live in the United States of America? But listen to what God says. Why did my vineyard give me wild grapes instead of sweet? And let me tell you what he is in essence saying. Why did my people sin against me instead of living righteous lives? Verse 5, I will tear down the fences and let my vineyard go to pasture to be trampled by cattle and sheep. 
I won't prune it or hoe it, but let it be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will command the clouds not to rain on it anymore. And then in verse 7, Isaiah speaks again. I have given you the story of God's people. They are the vineyard that I spoke about. Israel and Judah are his pleasant acreage. He expected them to yield a crop of justice but found bloodshed instead. He expected righteousness but the cries of oppression meet or met his ears. Folks, do you see what is going on here? Isaiah is speaking to a nation that is turned against God. God has blessed them. God has prospered them. God has led them, but yet they have rebelled and turned against God, and now God's judgment will come. And although verse 8 does not begin with woe to you, but if you got a King James, a New International Version, a Revised Standard Version, in each one of these, beginning with verse 8, there are six woes. Woe unto you. And folks, I want to point something out. The Good News Bible, and I chose not to read this out of the Good News Bible because it is so strong. The Good News Bible says you are doomed. And in verses 8 through 30, again, God's indictment against his people. And folks, if you've been reading these chapters in Isaiah, Isaiah must have been hated by the people who heard him prophesy. Because folks... He plowed their ground. There was not a sin, it seemed, that that Isaiah did not cover. So listen to what he says. And folks, hear this. Jeremiah saying, I mean, Isaiah saying this. Not Herbert Brown. Isaiah saying this. I mean, you can get mad with me. That'll be okay too. Because you see, I'm a sinner just like you are. But listen to this. Verse 8. You buy up property so others have no places to live. Your homes are built on great estates so you can be alone in the midst of the earth. Folks, God's not just, God's not, he has prospered them. He's not talking about, it's not a sin to be rich, but listen to what happens. They have turned against God. Verse 9, but the Lord Almighty has sworn your awful faith with my own ears, I heard him say. Isaiah says, I heard God say this, and I'm just saying back to you. Many a beautiful home will lie deserted. Their owners killed or gone. An acre of vineyard will not produce a gallon of juice. Ten bushels of seed will yield one bushel crop. In other words, God is going to take away his hand of blessing. The second woe in verse 11. Woe to you who get up early in the morning to go on long drinking bouts that lasts till late at night, woe to you drunken bums. That's the living Bible. You furnish lovely music at your grand parties. The orchestras are superb, but for the Lord you have no thought or care. Therefore, I will send you into exile far away because you neither know nor care that I've done so much for you. Your great and honored men will starve and the common people will die of thirst. Folks, these are serious moments that Isaiah is talking about. And folks, you and I know from history that Isaiah is predicting the fall of Judah that will come when the Babylonians come down and destroy their city and their land. And the people are taken into exile and many of them will die. 
And again, and I've asked this question, I think, every message. Has God gotten an attitude? Has God changed? Is He no longer a God of love and mercy? He still is a God of love and mercy, but He is a God of holiness and righteousness. And God's judgment is falling, not because He's angry with the people, but because of the result of their sin. And listen to verse 14. Again, this is a living Bible. Hell is lick, licking its chops in anticipation of this delicious morsel, Jerusalem. Her great and small shall be swallowed up, all her drunken thong, throngs. In that day the haughty will be brought down to the dust, the proud will be humbled. But listen to this. But the Lord Almighty is exalted above all, for He alone is holy, just, and good. In those days, flocks will feed among the ruins, lambs and calves and kids will pasture there. Woe to those who drag their sins behind them like a bullock on a rope. Listen to verse 19. They even mock the Holy One of Israel and dare the Lord to punish them. Hurry up and punish us, O Lord, they say. We want to see what you can do. Verse 20. They say what is right. Now listen to this, verse 20. They say what is right is wrong, and what is wrong is right, that black is white, and white is black, bitter is sweet, and sweet is bitter. Aren't we living in that day? God has laid out His moral standards for living, and we're saying this book is outdated and antiquated. We don't need to listen to this anymore. And besides, if God was going to bring judgment, why hadn't He already done it? Verse 21, Woe to those who are shrewd and wise in their own eyes. Woe to those who are heroes when it comes to drinking and boast about the liquor they can hold. They take bribes to pervert justice, letting the wicked go free and putting innocent men in jail. Therefore God will deal with them and burn them. They will disappear like straw and fire. Their roots will rot. Their flowers wither. For they have thrown away the laws of God and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. They have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. This is why the anger of the Lord is hot against His people. That is why He's reached out His hand to smash them. The hills will tremble and the rotting bodies of His people will be thrown as refuge in the streets. But even so, His anger is not ended. His hand is heavy on them still. He will send a signal to the nations far away, whistling to those at the ends of the earth. They will come racing toward Jerusalem. They never weary, never stumble, never fall. Their belts are tight, their bootstraps strong. They run without stopping for rest or for sleep. Their arrows are sharp, their bows are bent. Sparks fly from their horses' hooves, and the wheels of their chariots spin like the wind. They roar like lions and pounce upon the prey. They seize my people and carry them off into captivity with none to rescue them. They growl over their victims like the roaring of the sea. Over all Israel lies a pale of darkness and sorrow, and the heavens are black. Folks, that is depressing, is it not, to read? But folks, it's the truth of the Word of God. These people were getting ready to see judgment like they'd never seen fall upon them. God had not stopped loving them, but this was a result of their sin. Folks, you and I have read that the wages of sin is death. It is the result of sin that all these things are coming upon them. And this morning, my purpose is not to, not to grieve you or to frustrate or depress you, but to help you and I to see there needs to be great revival in our lives and in our world. Is it not? 
And folks, this is what Isaiah was trying to tell his people. And folks, I want to talk about something for just a minute. And I'm going to run out of time in just a few minutes. I'm going to stop. Okay, I'm going to stop at 9.30. There's only so much you can hold of this, folks. It's hard for me even studying and preparing this. I want to deal with something that I think is so important in our day. Please don't hear me now in a critical way, but just it's telling the truth. I want to ask a question. Am I reading too much Scripture in the preaching services? And folks, I promise you that I'm trying to do as the Lord Jesus leads me. But there's something that is going on in our world, and that is we have pushed the Word of God aside. I hate to quote Charlie Daniels, but what's that song? We have done away with the good book and living by the law of the land or of the jungle. And, folks, we have. Example after example, folks, of, of the need of, of Scripture to be in our hearts and minds. And let me just give you some examples. I'm going to read. See, the Bible, the Word of God, the, the Scripture was written for many reasons, but I believe one of the most important ones was that you and I could read this aloud in public worship. And let me just point out some passages of Scripture where they read the Word of God. The Word of God is so vitally important to our spiritual development, our spiritual growth. One of the great examples in the Old Testament is the book of, of Nehemiah. Nehemiah lived in a day in which the judgment of God had fallen. The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. They were rebuilding the walls. And let me tell you how revival came in Nehemiah's day. Listen to these verses, and I'll read them quickly. Nehemiah, verse 1 through 3, 5, 6, 8, and 9. And all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law which the Lord had given to Israel. Would you and I ever think of a day in which we laid the Bibles aside and said we don't need to hear from that book anymore? That had happened in Ezra and not Nehemiah's day. They rediscovered the law that God had given his people. And on this day, the people met together, and Ezra the scribe was going to read the word of God to the people. Verse 2, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning to midday. Now listen to this. Let me read that again. You think I'm long-winded. From early morning into the Jewish people, morning began at 6 o'clock to midday, which was 12 o'clock. From early morning unto midday, he read the Word of God in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Will it take the judgment of God for us to turn back not only to God, but turn back to His Word and want to hear His Word? And again, folks, I'm, I'm just saying this, broadcasting this to everybody, to even myself. It says that Ezra, verse 5, opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened the book, uh, all the people stood. Can you imagine standing for all of those hours? They stood in reverence to the reading of the Word of God. Folks, we need to rediscover all these things. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their head. They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Do you not think that they were humbling themselves before Almighty God? And folks, I have trouble with my own self. As I come into the sanctuary of God to do business with God, am I humbling myself? 
Do we really want God to speak? Are we really willing to, to say to God, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. I'm here today because I need you. I need your word. I need something to penetrate into my heart and mind that will help me break away from living against you to living for you. The nation needs to do that. We need to turn back to God. Listen to verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not weep or mourn, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They wept because they knew that they had not been doing what God had told them. They wept because this great God who had delivered them from slavery in Egypt after 425 years had given them what He wanted them to know about Him and how He was going to bless them and keep them and lead them to the land of milk and honey. And they had forsaken it. Let me read a couple more passages of Scripture. I'm close, okay? Another reason we ought to honor the Word of God and read it in public is because Jesus did that Himself. As He begins His public ministry in Nazareth, and I'll, I'll read this quickly. He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. When he went to the synagogue, as his custom was on the Sabbath day, he stood up to read, and there was given him the book of the prophet who? Isaiah. How important the book of Isaiah. It was so important that on the beginning of his ministry, Jesus read out of Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61. He opened the book, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, Today is the scripture fulfilled in your hearing. Listen to 1 Timothy 4.13. Paul says, till I come, attend to public reading of Scripture, to preaching, to teaching. May I read that again? Until I come. Paul's speaking about his coming to visit the church where Timothy was. Attend to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching the Word of God. And listen to Revelations 1.3, and I know the immediate context of this is the book of Revelation. But listen to this. Blessed is he who reads aloud the words, the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep that which is written therein for the times near. Folks, why, why am I bringing... This doesn't have anything to do with Isaiah 5, does it? Oh, yes, it does. We need to hear from God again. And one of the great ways that he speaks to us is through his word. And listen to these words out of Isaiah 40. This is not going to be on the screen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Folks, this book right here is eternal because it is the word from the eternal God. And folks, here's my whole point in this. We need to get back to the Scripture. We need as a nation to turn back to the word of God. And I'm not talking about the Quran. I'm not talking about any other religious book. I am talking about the Word of God. And folks, here's where we have a struggle as Christians. Do we believe this book? Do we believe it's from God? Do we believe this book is so important to us that it's our manual for living as a guide for us on a day-to-day -day basis that we spend time in the Word of God? 
And folks, I'm not up here to criticize you if, if you don't read the Word of God. I'm here to encourage you. Let's turn back to the Word of God. And as you and I turn back and as the church of Jesus Christ gets serious again about hearing and studying and living and proclaiming the Word of God, our world will be changed. We even, I have been told, have pulpits where people no longer read the Word of God. And if you think I'm lying, I'm not up here to criticize any other preachers, but somebody this week outside of our church, I didn't ask them to tell me this, but they said that their children went to a church and the preacher stood up to preach, did not open his Bible, said there's a verse that gave me uh, inspiration for this sermon, gave them the verse, but said, I'm not going to read it, you can read it when you get home. Folks, I want to tell you, this is our guide. We don't worship the Bible, but we worship the God who sent us His Word to lead us. In Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah is going to give them the Word of God. That's why God sent a prophet. They didn't have a book like you and I have then called the Bible, but God used spokesmen like Isaiah. You and I are living in a time when we've got the Word of God in book form, in written form. And we need to let it penetrate our hearts and our minds. In America, in our world, in Teresa Baptist Church, we must turn back to the Word of God. If revival is going to come to the church, if new souls are going to be won into the kingdom of God, if we as Christians who profess faith to be followers of Christ, if we're going to live wholly separated lives, we must turn back to the Scripture. We must not give a deaf ear to the Scripture and become disgruntled with reading and studying the Word of God in church and also in Sunday school. And folks, maybe you're thinking, I spent a whole lot of time on this. Folks, I think this is where it's going to happen. When we get serious again about letting God speak to us, and one of the main ways He's going to do it is through His Word. May God help us. May He bring revival in our hearts, in our churches, in our world. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you'll get our attention. God, we, we put you so far back on our list of things to do and important and priorities, Lord. I just pray, God, that we'll turn back to you. Lord, I pray that prayer for myself. God, I'm not here as Isaiah was not standing before his people to condemn them and judge them, but to share with them a message from God what you had spoken to him to speak to the people. And God, help us to see that each one of us has been called out to be spokesmen for you. God, as we learn more about you, as we learn more about you from your word, as we draw new strength from you, help us, Father, to share those things with others. God, surely there's a lost and dying world around us, but there are many of those that want to hear that there's hope, that there's a Savior, that there is one who can forgive sin and give eternal life. And God, help us to bear witness to your Son. These moments of invitation, I pray, Father, that you will speak to hearts. And I pray, Father, that your will would be done. And I pray, Father, that we would be strengthened to serve you in a greater way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our hymn this morning is number 435, Just As I Am. If the Lord Jesus is speaking to your heart today, would you come? The altar is going to be open. God wants us to give light to this world and to help show the world His mercy and grace. Let us stand as we sing.